Amen. I feel full today. I feel full today. I feel, I feel refreshed, enriched. And, uh, you know, Ken mentioned something about the prayer thing. I want to thank you for praying. Uh, from time to time throughout the year, for, for me, um, that prayer thing is probably the best thing you can do for us for Pastor Appreciation Day, by the way. Um, that means more than anything else, the cards and all of that. And don't, don't stop doing the other things. Those are nice, too. Um, but, but it really is the nicest thing you can do for us. And uh, there are seasons throughout the year that I'm feeling particularly uh, in, in a warfare. And I, I pull that, that booklet out and I look, I, I say, who's praying for me this week? And generally, I've sent you emails. Some of you have got emails from me. Hey, please pray. And I try to get generally specific. Does that make sense? Generally specific. And uh, ask you to just, just pour it on for me. Uh, because sometimes, you know, when, when Rocky was in the, in, in the fight, and Rocky's getting his face beat up, he's all swollen and everything, and he, he's looking with, with kind of a cockeyed look in his eye, and he looks out in the crowd, and there's Adrian. All of a sudden, Rocky kind of comes back to life. That's the way I feel as a pastor when you're praying for me. Yo, Adrian! You know? Bring it on, you know. So I, I, need, I need people people in the stand saying, come on, Pastor, we can do this together. See, I can't do what I do without you. You can't do what you do without me. That's why the body of Christ is the way it is. I took some time this morning and went back in some of the classes back here and just thanked our teachers back there while you were singing some songs early on because, you know, we get to do what we do because they do what they do, Right? And uh, so don't, don't stop thanking the teachers and all those people and what a great thing to do to bless them from time to time for pouring and giving their gifts and sharing the way they do. Appreciate it so much. It makes the church work. Uh, teamwork makes the church work, doesn't it? And we're so glad for that. Well, it was interesting. Uh, I was going to be away this past week for most of the week. And so, I prepared, in fact, all of the week, um, I got in like 1 o'clock Saturday morning and then had to get up and do Bible quiz on Saturday with my wife and enjoyed every minute of it. But um, I knew I was going to be away, so I started preparing a message the week earlier. And I was preparing a message on grace only to get here last Sunday and Nate, Nate preached a powerful message. How many enjoyed that message last week on grace? So instead of me having to come back Saturday and staying here all through the night and looking like an old bag to you this morning, I decided I was just going to continue on the grace thing because God evidently trying to teach us something about grace here at the church. And I hope you understand and experience God's grace. And we're going to look at that a little deeper today. So uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, but let's pray and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to teach us today. Father, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are a God of the impossible. We ask, Lord, that you would take what is written on pages of our Bible and you would make it come to life to us today. That you would feed our spirit man, that you would awaken our knowledge and our understanding of the things of God and the ways of God so that we can accept the heart of God And we ask this for your name and for your glory. And everyone said, Amen. Don't waste God's grace. That's what we want to talk about today. It seems to me that there's been a lot said about grace in the last several years. There's lots of books being written about grace. 
songs, songs, seminars laid out and attempt to describe what grace is and how it works, what it means to us as human beings. How many, by the way, before we get too far into this, how many are thankful for God's grace? Amen. It's an awesome thing. I want to say this. Grace is complex in its definition. If I had to ask the definition of grace today, we would have a variety of them and all of us would be scratching at an attempt to really figure out and define what it is. But grace is complex in its definition, but it's complete in its expression. So I was studying this. The Holy Spirit just dropped that line in my spirit. I was like, wow, that's good. How many know when the Holy Spirit says something, it is good? He doesn't just throw out one-liners for nothing. He, he says stuff that's got a completeness to it. Philip Yancey says this, trying to define grace is like dissecting a frog in the biology class. You can learn a lot about the frog, but you have to kill the frog first. By simply trying to define grace, we kill the grace of its impact. And we don't need a definition of grace because we have something better than a definition. We have the demonstration of grace. Just look at the cross, he says. It's the greatest demonstration of grace that we have. God, man, became sin for me. And God, man, became sin for you that we might become, think of this, the righteousness of God. Is God righteous? Absolutely, purely, entirely, wholly like righteousness. That righteousness he puts on us. He gives us a robe of righteousness, as the scripture said through the song we just sang. He places a robe of righteousness on us. Listen to me this morning. I'm telling you, hear this. Only God can do that. Only God can put righteousness on you. Only God can do that. And so if we attempt to get it any other way, we're missing the point. God is the righteous giver. If you've been part of the Relentless series that we're doing uh, on our Christian Life University on Wednesday nights, uh, you've heard a lot about grace in that class. And I think one of the things that stood out to me as John Bevere talked about grace was many of us take grace, and all we talk about when we talk about grace is saving grace. But grace is an empowerment that is given to us at salvation, yes, but an empowerment to continue to live out with victory in Christ Jesus. So if we we just accept the salvation grace, we can kind of put our hands in our pocket and think, okay, well, it's all done. Golly. Yeah, I got it all done now. But it's more than just that. There's grace that gives us power to live out kingdom rule in our lives today, tomorrow, till Jesus comes. Second Peter 1, verses 2 and 3 says this. Grace and peace, listen to these words, be multiplied to you. If salvation grace was all we needed, then we wouldn't need the multiplication of grace in our life, would we? Multiplied to you in knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power, God's power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. 
power. God gives us power through the revelation of his grace. And if we see grace as the thing that blots out our sin and gives us a ticket into heaven only, we have a tendency to continue living as the world lives, not leaning on the grace of God and not learning from the grace of God and the fact that it did more than just cover our sin and empowered us to live a life that is holy and pleasing to him. So Paul warns us about receiving God's grace in vain. And I want to talk about that this morning. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Maybe you're there already. Verse 21. The last verse in chapter 5, and then we're going to look through the first couple verses in chapter 6. God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin. Jesus was perfect. Even in his humanity, he was perfect. He had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says this, quoting from Isaiah 49, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I, God, helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Let's look at four ways we can waste God's grace. First of all, we can rely on our own righteousness. We can rely on our own right. You want to you do a great job of wasting God's grace? You walk around like the cock of the walk, like somehow you got it all together because you are the man or woman of God and you are a self-made believer. Shame on you. Outside of the grace of God, you have nothing to stand on. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles. This is Paul speaking, who we know wrote over uh, half of the New Testament. This is a man talking about himself without God. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be even called an apostle, because I am I have persecuted the church of God. But by the by the what? By the grace of God, I am what I am, meaning I'm not that anymore. I am not the least. I am not the tail. I am now the head because of Jesus Christ, the grace that's been given to me. And his grace toward me was not in vain. And it isn't for you either. But I labored more abundantly than they all. If he was from the south, he would have said, then y'all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Notice, I labored, but it wasn't me laboring. It was the grace of God laboring in and through me. Paul's saying here that I could not do anything without the grace of God. You want to waste God's grace? You pretend like you're righteous and you you start telling God how good you are because of everything you've done. What he's going to do, he's going to remind you of how sinful you are because of everything he's done. He's done it all. He's done all the work to make us who we are. Don't you go patting yourself on the back like somehow you're, 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 the, you're the man. I've arrived because I did it all myself, right? Christ became sin for me that I might receive his righteousness. It was a gifted soprano soloist 
who sang the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And when she sang it, she had this beautiful voice filled the auditorium. And she changed one word in the whole song. Instead of singing, that changed a wretch. She said, it saved a soul like me. She softened the grace of God. She took the power out of the grace of God. In essence, she removed the real meaning of why John Newton wrote the song to begin with because we know John Newton was a a slave trader who was the vilest of men who treated humanity with utter disrespect and himself as well. But when God got a hold of his life, when John Newton penned the words and saved a wretch like me, he meant what he said. And unless we view ourselves as anything less than a wretch before we came to Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes there, 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 was, there are those who come to Christ and they think, well, God's going to get a good deal when he gets me in the kingdom. He really needs me. That wasn't John Newton's motivation when he wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Because the definition of wretch means base. Means mean, just mean, despicable, horrible. So we can race, we can waste God's grace by relying on our own righteousness. Secondly, we behave with dishonor towards the Lord. All right, how are you living? Is your life honoring the Lord? Titus. 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We live that way because of the grace of God. It's urging us, it's teaching us, it's encouraging us. In other words, God transforms our behavior. We can't become born again. We can't receive the grace of God and continue living the way we lived. And I've noticed two extremes when it comes to the grace of God in the body of Christ. The first extreme is we have a license. Now that I've received the grace of God, since I'm under God's grace, I can still do what I want. And maybe you know people like that. They call themselves Christians, but they continue to live, and there's absolutely no difference between their actions, their lifestyle, and the lifestyle of the world. It's called a license, a free license to do what I want and live the way I want. I can talk the way I want. I can act the way I want because I'm under grace is the term they'll use. I'm under grace. Well, you are under grace. You're not living in grace. You're living under the misconception of grace. But you're not walking in the reality of grace, I can tell you that. You're not walking in the truth of grace. In fact, Jude tells us this in verses 4 and 5. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for morality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those, notice, who did not believe. God is a deliverer. 
but he's also a God of justice. And in grace, if we're not careful, we can swing to this loving, happy, loving God, and we miss the whole other part of his his character and attribute, and that is that he is a God of justice. And one day, all the books will be settled, and how you choose to treat God's grace right now will be reconciled before a holy God. There are many churches today that do not preach about sin, or if they do, they refer to it as something like a mistake, a weakness, a failure but certainly not wickedness. And many are allowed to live in any way they want, yet want to continue to be called part of the body of Christ. We had a man that came here last week for the first time. I don't think he's here today, but he came here for the first time and he got somebody in the lobby and his first question was, I want to know if this church teaches that you can live the way you want to live. His motivation was not that he wanted to do that, but he didn't want to go to a church where they're preaching that any kind of lifestyle is okay to live. He didn't want to go to a church where there's a homosexual standing behind the pulpit proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and yet disgracing the grace of God. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul says, by no means! exclamation point, lift your voice, tell it loud, tell it plain, tell it clear, by no means. No, you don't go on sinning, of course not. If you do, you miss the whole nuance of grace. Grace was meant to be redemptive, not licensed for freedom. We died to sin, Paul said, how can we live in that any longer. The other extreme I noticed in the body of Christ is the issue of legalism. This one's a little more subtle, but it says I must obey a bunch of rules to earn God's love. The list is long for people living in this kind of grace. I went to church today, therefore God is really happy with me. You know, if God told you to go downtown to the bar today and witness to somebody, he would be just as happy that you went there than you are here. If God told you to stay home and rest today, he would be just as happy that you stayed home and rest today than the fact that you're here. The fact that you came to church is not a a, a, a notch in your belt or a license for how righteous you are or holy you are. I did my devotions today. God's really smiling on me now. I prayed, and not only did I pray, but I prayed a long time. God's really happy with me right now. Listen, you can't make God happy by what you do. You make God happy by submitting to the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul addressed this in the church of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles, he says. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, Paul says, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Here I am, I'm teaching you. I am the apostle trying to take this church of Galatia and make it godly and righteous, and you're wanting to go back to a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. Paul's saying, shame on you. 
Wherever you find such churches, you will find attitude. The attitude that says, you must change your behavior before you can be part of this church. And when people come through the doors that don't have all of the set of rules figured out, like, hey, you don't dress like that here. And if we're not careful, I'm going to step on some toes here this morning. If we're not careful, we can say, hey, you bring a drink into the sanctuary. That doesn't happen here. Shame on you. You're not godly because you're drinking in the sanctuary. We can get weird the other way, too, that, hey, we just have a free-for-all in the sanctuary. We miss the reverence of God. But listen, don't you use your righteousness or God's righteousness that he's placed on you to be a battering ram for somebody else. We're all going to come here. This place was meant to be a hospital. If you go to the ER in the hospital, you're going to see all kinds of messes in there. People staggering and broken and hurting and wounded and bruised. And, and if you imagine having someone at the door saying, hey, you are a little too messed up to come in here. You get out. And yet we do that in the church. We do that in the body of Christ. And shame on us. This place has got to be a hospital. Listen, we're approaching a day when the bottom's going to drop out on culture and you're going to have this place filled with people that you think are undesirable, but God finds them very desirable. You read the parable of the last day, the banquet, when Jesus invites two groups of people and they all are too busy, got way too much stuff to do. But on the last day, he says, you go out into the highways and the byways. In other words, you go find the drug addicts, you go find the alcoholics, you go find the prostitutes, you go find those who are vile, and you bring them, you invite them in. Why? Because he's got a banquet that's going to change their life. And we're headed into that day, folks. And so because they don't have a suit and tie on, because maybe they're wearing shorts and flip-flops. Don't you stand there with your hands on your hips, wagging your head and saying, how disgraceful they'll come into God's house that way. This is an emergency room. And God's going to find some healing for a lot of people. And he wants to use you, by the way, as instruments of his righteousness and grace and healing for those people that are coming in wounded. The church that Debbie got saved at my dad was a pastor of years ago. I remember when we went back there as youth pastors. My mom's words to my wife was this. Sweetheart, when you go there, don't wear shorts in front of the brethren because they will give you a tongue lashing. And I thought, my God, my God. How shameful that the brethren whoever they are, have reduced our Christianity to what we wear. John Bevere says, I'm so glad we figured out that God can bless uh, denim as well as he can polyester. Those are the two extremes of how we can Abuse God's grace. But there's a third one that I want to talk about, and that is the issue of love. Because I am loved, and I love God, I want to obey Him. See how vastly different that is from the first two? The extremes that we can go to? This is the middle of the road. This is the balance. This is, this is the reality of grace. This is how it works out in our life. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you're just going to do it. 
Love is the motivating factor for all of us. If loving Jesus Christ is not the motivating factor, then you need to check out why you're serving and why you're trying to live righteous before God in your own righteousness. So what, what is our motivation for what we do? If we really have a revelation of just how much the, love, uh, the, the Lord's love is towards us, it's going to change our whole motivation, isn't it? There's a story about a couple who, they didn't really love each other very much. They were married for several years. The husband was very heavy-handed in the marriage. In fact, every day when his wife woke up, she had a list. It was sitting on the kitchen table, and the list was what the wife was to do all day long. And not just what she would do, but what time she would do it. At 8.05, you get the dishes out of the cupboard and you start making breakfast for the kids because it's going to be up in 10 minutes. And her day was regimented like that. For her whole married life, she submitted to that. Some of you ladies say thank Jesus for my husband right now. Come on, you better be a little more. If they don't say it, guys, you go home and get a list out on them. They'll change. And they're... Her life was regimented like that for years and years. Finally, the husband died. The husband died. After a few years, she, she found another man she fell in love with. She got married, and she lived with him. He was a different kind of man. He lavished his love on her, told her every day how beautiful we were, how much he loved her, and just did, did whatever he could to just lavish his love on this woman. And after several years of marriage, she went through one of her bureau drawers and she pulled out a a little note and she found the note and what was on the note was one of those lists that her previous husband had given her. And as she read through the list, she said to herself, hmm, it's interesting. I do all of those things now, but I'm not told I have to. I do it because I love this man. You see, the motivation makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? We can live under the rules that God places out there, under a heavy load of do's and don'ts, or we can just love God and love trying to be like Jesus and love doing what he asks us to do. Out of that motivation, Jesus finds great joy in our life and he smiles on us. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of way I want to live my life, with grace. So we waste God's grace by relying on our own righteousness and by behaviors that dishonor God. Thirdly, by failing to grow as believers. I want to talk about this one for a minute because this is probably where most of us in this room may get hit a little harder. Grace is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Don't you like those cards in Monopoly? Get out of jail free. You just set it there until you need it. You land on the jail. Ha ha. Throw in the orange card. I'm getting out of jail. I don't have to stay here. But that's not all grace was meant to be. 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace. Grow in the grace. Say that with me. Grow in the grace. You know, you got to say it like I'm saying it. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. So be it. Amen. The church of Corinth was an extremely immature 
church. At one point, Paul calls them a bunch of babies who demand constant care in need of spiritual milk, and they couldn't handle spiritual meat. Most of us love babies, but none of us would want to have a 100-pound baby that we had to do everything for. In fact, imagine if we looked like this. Now, I know you don't recognize the guy on the right, but that's Pastor Steve. I know he looks like an alcoholic and a drug addict there. I can't remember where that picture, the picture actually came. Was that a Japan picture when you woke up one morning? Yeah. It's, it, it was a really bad Steve came stumbling out of the room, and he was just like, ah. Somebody snapped a picture of him, and so uh, we posted. But can, look at Pastor Nate. Isn't he cute? Now, can you imagine the maturity in such infancy? It's a ridiculous picture, is it not? I mean, immediately it brought laughter to this room. But let's turn the mirror around and face it towards the congregation today. Look into that mirror this morning. Look in, look in there and find your face and find your spiritual body. Where, where are you in the level of maturity? What are you doing to grow in the grace of God and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I hope God forgives me, but I had one of the young men of the church go over into the corn field today and steal a stock of corn. We didn't steal it. We're just using it. We'll go put it back in the dirt when we're done, I'm sure. This is probably more like a teenager than a grown adult corn stalk here. But, you know, we all, we all come to Christ like this. This is a kernel of corn in my hand. It's not much when we come to Christ. Some of us might still look like that after many years of I was going to say serving the Lord, but really just hanging out in the kingdom is really what's happening. But I was just laid on the platform here this morning. I, I, I saw, I'm seeing weird pictures today. It's picture day for me, I guess. But I saw this grain of corn down in the dirt. And by the way, unless a grain of corn falls into the ground and dies... Are you catching this? Unless it falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. There's a process. But what I saw this morning was the thief, the thief comes to steal the seed. And, and I saw him taking the soil and pushing the soil back away from the seed and exposing the seed, not giving it the potential to be covered by the nurturing of the soil and the warmth of the sunshine and absorbing the rain. In essence, trying to steal the life from the seed before it ever produces any fruit. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy But Jesus says, I have come that you might have 
life and have it to the full. He's saying, I don't want you to remain a seed. There's incredible power in the seed, but he doesn't want it to stay there. And we can't continue to look like a seed because he's got, in comparison, so much more for us to be in our maturity, doesn't he? So much more growth. He's not content to have you looking like corn. He wants you to be corn and produce multiple so that you can have some for someone else. It's not all about you. It's all about Christ in you, the hope of glory. That we can be a tree planted by the waters. Why? So someone can enjoy the shade. So someone can enjoy the fruit. So someone can enjoy something from our lives. God's not content with you being immature. Immature. He's not wanting to have to put the bottle to move your mustache aside so he can put the nipple in your mouth any longer. He's wanting you to grow up and start taking solid food. Listen, this issue of people being offended in the church, I just want to say grow up. Grow up. Now, I don't know who said this, so I'm going to say it, and if it offends you, I'm sorry. I'm really not, but take it anyway. You know, we, we've changed some things around here at Christian Life, and the reason we have changed and the reason we've done what we've done is because we are not wanting to have people come here, sit in the seat week after week, and go out that door and never grow spiritually. Thank you, Pastor, for putting the bottle in my mouth. I'm going to go home and live the rest of the week, and I'm going to come back next week and hope you have another formula produced for me so you can put it in my mouth. We're, we're, we're tired of that. Listen, God's tired of that. The church doesn't need more teaching. They need more practicality in their experience with Jesus Christ. They need a place to release it. Some of you have been taught to your, you, you, you can't even contain anymore. You've got to release that stuff. You don't grow unless you release it. So we've cha- made changes here. We, we've done Christian Life University on Wednesday night so that we can break this thing down. You know, you can come and sit and listen to me preach all day long. But until you start talking about your faith, expressing your faith, and getting practical with your faith, it's going to be meaningless to you. Me preaching to you will not transform your life, I promise you. But you exercising your faith will. Because the power and the anointing always goes where the action is. Where people are stepping out by faith and saying, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But Lord, I know you tell me to do it. I'm just going to go. Listen, God honors that kind of expression of your faith. Imagine that little grain of, sand, uh, of corn breaking through the soil. See, there's action happening. That little corn doesn't know how it's going to push through the soil. But because of the grace of God on it, the sun and the rain, all of a sudden a little sprout comes forth and the dirt dirt has to give way. Listen, the crud in your life has to give way when you start growing in the Lord. He will push aside everything in your life so that you can grow. It has to happen that way. We've even had some people in this church say, "Yeah, wow, we don't even know what's happening around here. Well, that's why we get the bulletin out. Well, you don't hand us the bulletin anymore, so I'm not going to go back and pick one up. 
I hope you're here. I honestly do not know who said that, but I hope you're here. And please picture your face on one of those little chummy babies today. I'm trying to say this nice as your pastor, but listen, you've got to grow up. You've got to grow up. I'm not doing that life group stuff. I don't know where that came from. Well, you just stay right there, okay? Why do we do life groups? What's the why behind the what? We do life groups because some of you come here week after week and you say hi to everybody. In fact, if I was to ask you who so-and-so is across the church, well, I don't, I don't know. Why? Why don't you know? This is supposed to be a family. This is supposed to be a body. Why don't you know? It's because you haven't made an effort to do so. We're trying to help you to be a healthier body. Our motivation is to have a healthy body here at Christian Life. And we can't do that by coming week after week and sitting in these seats and going out that door and not relating to one another. Life groups, life groups help us to do life together. And we're able to touch each other. Listen, you don't learn each other's needs by coming here Sunday morning and going out the door. But you sit in a life group and somebody opens their heart and starts pouring out their heart to you. And I've heard some great expressions of people in this congregation where that's happened in a life group, and the life group rallied around and just blessed. Blessed those people who have needs. Listen, if you're waiting for me to do it all, you're going to kill me. Just, just build me a casket today, put me in it, and I'll get to go to heaven early, and the rest of you can continue living like that. But listen, we have got to be the body of Christ. My toe didn't wake up this morning and say, hey, Joe, you know what? I don't think I'm going to work today. My heart didn't say to me, you know, I, I, think, I think I'm just going to sit around for a while today and you kind of do things without me. See how long that'll last, right? See, when Paul uses the analogy of the body, he said we all have a part to play in the body. We, we can't allow, I can't, as your pastor, allow you to come here week after week and not be part of the body. We call those parasites. You've you got to be part of the body. There's got to be a function that you do. In the next several weeks, you notice we have on the two glass doors going outside. We're going to have a couple of display units there. One will be places where you can serve. We're hoping to break down our ministries a little better where there's places that you can do things. And we'll tell you how much time it'll take and what's expected of you and all of that. I mean, some practical things. Like a warm, smiling face at the front door greeting people when they come in. How hard is that? For some of you, it is hard. I understand. A smile's a big deal for you. But it shouldn't be a big deal. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to be begging for someone to hold a baby in the nursery and sing uh, a sweet worship song to them. And we shouldn't have to beg for that. I shouldn't have to beg for people to be teaching our children while we're here in the sanctuary. Some of us need to get out of the sanctuary and start serving somewhere. We just need the church. We need to do it. We've got to grow. 
and the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amy Grant wrote a song several years ago. In fact, I probably was a teenager at the time. And she wrote a song about infant Christians. I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell, he might even be you. He knelt at the altar and that was the end he saved and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. The chorus says he's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. This would probably make a nice wrap. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's just a fat little baby. Where are you spiritually? When's the last time the Lord spoke something to you that you had to obey? Pastor Nate and I were in a Nike outlet store down in Atlanta on uh, Friday. And while we were in there, I, uh, Nate was talking to a particular salesperson, so I was done doing what I was doing, walked over to where he was at, and tall uh, black gentleman, his name was Marcus. Great guy. Um, and when I walked up to Marcus, Marcus said, Wow, that's a beautiful watch you had on. I said, well, well, thanks. I said, you like that watch? He said, yeah, that's a really beautiful watch. So I took it off and I handed it to him. And uh, I said, you can have that watch. And he said, what? If you like it, you can have that watch. And he stumbled over his words for a little bit and he was a little blown away. And God bless Pastor Nate. He, he's a couple feet away from us now and he's got his head down and he's messing with something. He goes, come on, Dad, tell him why. <laughs> Just gave me this real gentle rebuke. Come on, Dad, tell him why. <laughs> so I was Rocky. I was in the ring and he was Adrian. Come on, Rocky, go get him. <laughs> so I got a second breath and I said, Marcus, you, you know why I can give you that watch? He said, why? I said, because somebody gave it to me. Back when Pastor Steve retired, they gave him that beautiful watch and Steve knew I needed a watch and he gave it to me. Steve, I hope you're not offended. I just had to obey what the Lord was prompting me to do. And so I gave it to Marcus. It's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> so my, my initial response was, hey, it's just, I'm just paying it forward. I kind of wanted to get soft on it. And that's actually, that's when Nate, Pastor Nate said, come on, Dad, tell him really why. And I said, you know what, Marcus? This is just like God. Do you know how much God loves you? God loves you so much. And I said, you know, it's just like what God did for us. He sent a really beautiful gift to earth, Jesus Christ, and he gave him to us and didn't cost us anything. Just like this watch doesn't cost you anything. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, so we can have freedom from our sin. Isn't that awesome, Marcus? He's going, yeah, that's awesome. See, We can take those opportunities in our life 
to be the gospel. To be the gospel. So let's pray for Marcus today. Father, we just bless Marcus. We ask that you administer to him. Lord, he's got his two fingers out. There's a peace sign there. We, we pray for the peace of God to be over his life. And Lord, somehow, when he looks at that watch, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help him to be mindful of the time. Help him be mindful of the gift and the grace of God and the short words that we shared with him in that store about God's grace and gift to us that you give. It's a beautiful gift, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to close with this article from Charles Stanley. He said, one of my most memorable professors in school had a unique way of just demonstrating to us what grace was. He was a rather hard professor. Professor. That was my main accent slipping out there. He was a rather hard professor, and at the end of the year, uh, his tests were always very difficult. At the end of the year, he gave his final exam. He would hand it out to all the students, and written on the top of the page was, please make sure you read through the entire exam before you start taking the test. He would express that verbally to the students as well. I want you, before you start taking this test, to read through the entire test before you put a pencil on the paper anywhere. And so the test would start. Some of the students would indeed forget all the... The professor doesn't know what he's talking about. I know the material. I'm going to go for it. And indeed, the test was incredibly difficult. And... Those students who read through it, you'd hear groans as they got halfway, three-quarters of the way through it, and thinking, oh, I obviously didn't study enough for this test. I'm going to fail. Until they got to the very last page of the test, and written at the bottom of the page uh, of the test, he said this. He said, you have a choice today. You can simply sign your name to this test and hand it in and get an A+, or you can take the test and see what you'll get for a grade. Very quickly, some of the students signed their name and handed it right in. They wanted the A+. But there were some of those in class who became so angry with how hard the test was, they never finished reading it. They became so angry with how hard it was that they simply simply left the few answers they had on the test, left the, the test on the desk, and they stormed out of the room angry because they couldn't complete the test. It was so hard. There were others who were going to say that I don't want anything for free. You're not going to just give, you know, I, I worked hard all year, and I'm going to take this exam, and I'm going to get tested on what I know. And many of them left with a C or less on that test. God's grace, folks, is that way. You can do what God says and receive a passing grade. Or you can work really hard and study really hard. So you can do it on your own to say, no one's giving me anything. I worked for this. And settle for whatever grade you get. But God's grace is awesome.
as we close this morning, I wonder where you're at. God's grace might seem unbelievable to you. I promise you, if you accept God's grace today, it will transform your life. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer, but you've, you've wasted God's grace in one of the areas that we mentioned today. Maybe you're here today and you're living out God's grace to its best. But maybe you're here today and you've never, never received the gift of grace. You've never asked Jesus Christ, who already paid the price for all of your sinful lifestyle. You've never asked him to come and to forgive you of your sin so that you can have that grace applied to your life. It's you I want to talk to in this last few minutes. Because you're here and you've wondered what life was all about. You've wondered what the meaning of life is. You, you thought to yourself many times when you laid your head on your pillow at night, there's got to be something more to life than this. And I want to say to you, you're absolutely correct. We have a God who sent his only son named Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you for one reason, to free you from your sin. There's nothing you can do yourself to free yourself from sin. You will carry that sin burden to the grave and you'll spend an eternity in hell, as the scripture tells us. Unless you address this person, Jesus Christ. You you address this one who gave his life for you that you might have eternal life. And if you're here today and that's you, today is the day that God wants to change your life. The scripture says he'll take you from darkness and bring you into his marvelous light. He said when you come to him, he'll make all things new. Not better, not without problems, not without difficulties, but new. In fact, he'll give you the strength to carry through some of life's most difficult problems. Would you bow your head with me this morning? You know, Satan's time for salvation is always tomorrow. Satan always says, well, not now. Wait for tomorrow. You've got plenty of time. Do it some other time. The Lord says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, would you just slip a hand up and say, Pastor, that's me, and I'd like to receive that free gift today. Is there anyone here like that that's never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? Today's your day. How many? Maybe there's several here today like that. Today's your day. Let me talk to the rest of us then while your heads are bowed. Is there a way that you have wasted God's grace? Have you not grown? Have you depended on your own set of rules? tried to keep a bunch of do's and don'ts to perform that? Where are you at? Would you right now in the quietness of this moment, would you just ask God to set you free from that mindset? If it's a wasteful mindset, 
If it's a mindset that's causing you to waste the grace of God, would you just ask God to release you from that right now? Father, I thank you for the righteousness that's in your Son, Jesus Christ. Any of our areas of our life, Lord, where we have we have not lived in the freedom of grace, but applied our own standard to it. Holy Spirit, would you address that in our lives? Especially when we try to uh, we try to put that set of rules on somebody else. Lord, would you check our heart, check our lips, check our, our words, check our mind when we start thinking that way and speaking that way. Check that, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to check that in our lives. where we've just lived a way that we want to live. Check that, Lord God. Where our lives are a little reckless, they're they're unrighteous in, in their expression. Would you check that, Lord God? Holy Spirit, we give you permission. We give you permission to check those areas of our life where we're dishonoring to you. Lord, in the area of maturity, would you help us all to grow to the fullness of the measure of the stature, as Ephesians says. The fullness of the measure of the stature. Father, there's, there's persecution coming to the church. The days ahead of us are perilous, as your word says. They are difficult times. These are not times for the church to be in diapers, carrying bottles. You're looking for a mature, a mature church. Would you raise up in this place mature believers as we submit to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And we want to say one more time, Lord, thank you for your grace. Would you just say that this morning? Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, for grace. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. Your grace is our portion today. And we thank you for the grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Wiley, would you come?